Let's begin this morning with prayer. Father God, we have spent time singing about how great and awesome you are. You are the God in whom we come and behold. There's no one like you. We are so different from you. And yet we can sing holy, holy, holy. Because that is who you are. You are the holy God. You are totally separate from sin. And we are sinful. And yet we can come and worship the holy God because of what your son Jesus has done for us. And Father, I pray that as we look into your word that we would be in awe of who you are. That we would love you for who you are. And that we would respond to your word with faith and trust in you alone and obedience to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, we're glad you're here with us. We're going to continue our series in Exodus this morning. Uh, Pastor Chad has given us the theme in Exodus for our series as Jehovah Unveiled, meaning God is revealing himself, making himself known to his people. And we've seen him do that in some pretty impressive ways as we've looked at the 10 plagues. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I was not there. Even whether Egyptian or Israelite, I'm glad I wasn't there. It does not sound like a vacation to me. But uh, we watch God do some just absolutely incredible things to, to the nation of Egypt to prove who he is to his people and to the Egyptians. Our theme verses for Exodus are Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, which say, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." And we're now past this passage. We're now in the point in the life of the Israelites that they are no longer in, well, they're no longer in the city that they were in. They are moving to the promised land. They are God's people and God is leading them. He's taken them out. And I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin to think about our text this morning is, have you ever experienced any event in your life that was so significant that you just stopped because you were so in awe and in shock or wonder at that moment? Have you ever experienced a situation in your life like that where it's so significant that it was maybe a once-in-a-lifetime thing, whether it happened to you directly or even indirectly, but it caused you to stop? I wonder if you've ever had that experience where the event was so momentous that it was just so overwhelming to you. And you needed some time to take it in. And then after you took it in and you processed it a little bit, you then began to tell other people about this incredible event that happened in your life. We like to talk about things that are significant to us, do we not? How many of you that are grandparents in here want to tell everybody, and I mean everybody, about your grandchildren? Because usually for grandparents, grandchildren are like the greatest thing since sliced bread. 
And we want to talk about those things that are significant to us. And we do this because we want to remember it and because it is important to us. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord." Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth." For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall, get, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart the Lord, to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males, males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand and or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." Our big idea this morning from our text is that God wants you to remember his powerful rescue. God wants you to remember his powerful rescue. God wanted Israel to remember his powerful rescue from Egypt and slavery in Egypt. So God gave them a feast and a sacrifice to assist in their remembering. And as we go through our text this morning, we're going to look at verses 3 through 10 first. And then come back and look at verses 1 and 2 and 11 through 16 together. And it'll make sense as we keep going. 
But first, remembering through a feast. Remembering through a feast. Moses speaks to the people of Israel, beginning in verse 3, by saying, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. For Israel, this day was very significant. This day was that momentous occasion in their life. They, by God's incredible power, were led out of Egypt. They're on the move. But God did not want them to mentally be on the move from the events that just took place. He wanted them to consider what had just happened. He wanted them to remember. Not just remember, but to remember where they were and how they came to where they currently are. Did you catch that in verse 3? Go ahead and look at it again. Where did Israel come from and how did they get to where they are currently is important to God. Moses is pointing to them, or pointing out to them, the difficulty, suffering, and slavery that they endured at the hands of Pharaoh and Egypt. And in contrast to that great suffering, Moses points them to a greater power, God's power, God's greater power. He is saying to them that God was and God is greater than Pharaoh. God is and was greater than Egypt. Essentially, in verse 3, God, er, Moses is saying to the people of Israel, God is great. Remember our powerful God. He is our God. All those Egyptian gods, nothing compared to our God. So he wants them to consider. He wants them to remember who their God is. Moses does more, though, than just point, them, point Israel to their powerful God. He connects the rescue of the people of Israel with the meal that they ate just before they left. You remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Chad preached Exodus uh, chapter 12, verses 14 to 20, which is all about that, that feast, the meal that they were going to have before they left. This is... This passage, these verses look back to that meal, look back to it, and it becomes not only something that they did one time, but it becomes a memorial, a reminder to them yearly of God's power to save, of God's power to rescue. It's incredible how God took something so little and insignificant, a quick, fast meal, and made it the reminder that the people need of his power to save. Moses gives them some details about this going on in verses 4 and following. He, he says that it's in the month of Abib. Now, I didn't know what that was. In my calendar, I looked multiple times and I couldn't find a month called Abib. Okay, or anything even close to that. But it was most likely the time of the year of spring. Maybe March or April is what most, uh, most people guess it to be. So not too far away from where we are now. Uh, uh, we're nearing the end of February, so this is probably when it took, it took place in the springtime, and it was at this month that yearly they were to eat no leavened bread. So no bread with any yeast. 
Uh, and if you want more details as to that, you can go back and listen to Pastor Chad's uh, message that he talked about this very much in detail, this feast, uh, back a few weeks ago. But this was a reminder of this meal, this feast, <clears throat> excuse me, was a reminder of the quick departure of, from Egypt by God's mighty power. The quickness of the meal was not the focus, but it was the mighty power of their God that the meal was to point them to. And in verse 5, we find Moses, he, he does something odd, and I don't exactly know the reason why he does it, except I think he's wanting to root something in an actual place. But in verse 5, we find Moses listing some of the peoples who are currently living in the land that God had promised to them. He lists these five nations, these five peoples. Now, if you look in other passages, there are more than just these five. But I think what Moses is doing for the people of Israel is this theoretical promised land is real. He's rooting it in a real place of peoples they may have actually heard of before. And this is where they're going. He's like, this land that God promised to you is yours. And it will be yours. And it's interesting. I didn't catch this until a few times reading through this passage, but you look at verse 5, and it says, and when the Lord brings you into the land. Do you ever consider that? And when the Lord brings you? In God's mind, it's done. It's over. They're already possessors of the land. But is Israel there yet? No. But God, when he looks at the people of Israel, he sees them as already possessors of the land that he has promised to them. God sees Israel already taking it, and it's done deal for him. So Israel, when they enter the land of Egypt, or excuse me, enter the promised land after they've left Egypt, they are to remember what God has done for them yearly as they live in the new home that God has provided for them. They're to remember this. And, and Moses here, he's giving detail about this feast. And I think he does it for a particular reason because I think he does it because in his mind, it's already done. This, this yearly feast is a reminder of the power that he had over, Israel, or over Egypt, excuse me, and he will have over these other nations, these other peoples. It's already completed. It's already over with. And so he wants them to get that. He wants them to hear that even before they've crossed the Red Sea, that this possession that he's promised to them is solidified. God will do this. He, ha he has done it in his mind. And then we go on in verses 6 and 7, and we find instructions for the feast. I don't know about you, but I like having instructions for things. I do not do well without detailed information of how to do something. I am not one of these free thinkers who can just like create something on their own. I need very specific details. And so I like it when God gives very specific information. And not only does he do it once in chapter 12, but he does it again here. God is a gracious God to us and to his people. And he does that here in verses 6 and 7 by giving them a little information. It's not a lot because he'd already given them this information. But this feast was to be a seven-day period of eating unleavened bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't regularly eat unleavened bread. And so it would be different. But not only are they not supposed to eat it, but it was for seven days, and on the seventh day they would have a feast. But it goes further. If you look at these verses, it goes further than just not eating unleavened bread. 
but it's not even, the, the leaven, the yeast is to not even be found in their territory. Like, just be gone with it. Just get rid of it. Totally eliminate it. It's interesting when you think about that. What are they going to do? Are they going to like go to the grocery store the next day after the seven days and the feast and buy more leaven or yeast? As I've studied this and thought about it, they, they often had starter loaves of bread is what they had. So they had to get rid of everything that they had and start again that eighth day with I don't know what. We're not given what they're to start with, but they're to trust their God who is powerful, who is mighty to save. And this, there's a limited get rid of it. But we go on in verses 8 through 10, and we get past the command to remember, and we get into the details. But now we come to the why. The why of this feast. And it's a really, really awesome thing as you think about it. In verses 8 through 10, it helps Israel to know what they're to do with this feast. Why have this feast? Why eat no unleavened bread? But the feast was a reminder of God's power. And it was a teachable moment in family life. Parents, excuse me, in verse 8, would teach their children that it is because of what the Lord did for me, for them, when I came out of Egypt. It was a teachable moment for parents to point their children to say, look at our God. God is amazing. Look at what he has done for us. We all know that children are inquisitive, right? One of the favorite words of children is the word why, especially once they learn to talk. Is that not correct, parents? Why? Not really followed by anything else generally, but just simply the, the, quest, the word why with a question mark. And no matter what you say next, there's always what coming after it. Why? And so I believe that Moses, God, knows that children are inquisitive and when children begin to watch these seven days, day one, no leavened bread, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, a feast, no leavened bread, they're going to ask, why no leaven, Why are we eating this bread that we never eat? And they are to be able to say, look at our God. Because this meal reminds us of our God's power. God rescued us. He moved us out of slavery. He moved us out of Egypt. Not because of anything we had done, but because of God's power, because of God's mercy, because of God's incredible love. He did this. It was a teachable moment. How many times do we take the, the, the things in our lives and point to our God as parents, as grandparents, as older siblings, how often do we point our siblings, our children, our grandchildren to who our God is? Israel had a feast yearly to remind them who their God was. And it was the task of parents to disciple their children, to help them to know who God was and what he had done for them. In verses 9 and 10, we find Israel was to view this feast as a reminder, as something to remind them of God's powerful rescue. As you look at it there, it's to be this sign. It's to be a sign on their hand and a memorial between their eyes. And Israel in later years took this as a literal thing, 
where they actually had literal things on their hands and on their faces. But that's not the, what Moses is communicating. It is to be a, a reminder to them of what God had done for them. Israel took the reminder and made it something they had to do. Which, if you know much of your Bible, you know that's not uncommon for the people of Israel to make something that was a reminder or a grace thing from God to make it a legalistic thing where it was a requirement. But God never wanted them to forget it. It was to be so familiar to them that it was on their hands and before their eyes constantly. God wanted Israel to always remember the powerful rescue he worked on their behalf. This Feast of Unleavened Bread was a yearly reminder, a yearly point for them back to what God had done, the redemption that he had brought on their behalf. They were to keep God, his redemption, at the forefront of their minds. How often do we do that? How often do we keep the the good news of the gospel at the forefront of our minds? We haven't been rescued physically from slavery at least, I'm not aware of anyone that has, like Egypt, or Israel was out of Egypt. But we have been rescued from slavery. We have been rescued from a dominion that was greater than us, that was more powerful than us, that held us in fear and bondage, and that's sin. We no longer have to live that way because of what God has done for us in Christ. Israel was to always remember the powerful rescue that God had done. And this feast was that helpful reminder. We too need a reminder of what God has done on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Second, remembering through a sacrifice. Remembering through a sacrifice. We're going to jump back in chapter 13 to verses 1 and 2 and then go to verse 11 and and following. But we, you might look at these uh, two sections and say, well, they're the same thing. Why didn't God, why did he have Moses put these in here? Why not just lump it together and then put the feast at the other end? That's a good question. But I think God does it for a particular reason. Because we see in verses 1 and 2, God speaking to Moses. And then what happens in verse 3 and following is God, or Moses is speaking to the people, relaying God's message to them. I think that's why he does it in this way. And so in verses 1 and 2, we see God give Moses a clear command. It's not very, very hard to understand what he's trying to say. He says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Set apart to me all the firstborn. That's the command. That is simple in some ways and not so simple in other ways because what does he mean? How do we do that? Well, that's, that's why I think maybe for you, giving a simple command is all you needed. But for me, I, I'm, I have to overthink things about 50,000 ways before I actually process it correctly. And so I, God doesn't just give them a simple command and move on. He gives clarification in verse 2. He clarifies what he means by firstborn. He says in the rest of the verses, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And in verse 2, we learn some important information uh, that God wanted his people to know. First, we learn that Israel and all they possess belongs to God. Did you catch that at the end of verse 2? He says, is mine. It's mine. 
God owns Israel. God owns their sheep, their cattle, their goats, their donkeys, their camels, whatever they had, he owned. God was and is the owner of everything because he is the creator. God, not only that, but Israel themselves belonged to God. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, you can look it up later, God says that Israel is his firstborn. They are his firstborn, and they are his. They belong to him, and so the sacrifice that they're going to give is not only for their firstborn, but for themselves. Second, in verse 2, we learn that Israel is set apart to God, or Israel was to set apart to God all that first opens the womb, whether a female Israelite or a female animal that gives birth, that firstborn male child was God's. It belonged to God. Now later, as you go through the law that God gives, there is a tribe of Israel that is set in the place of that firstborn. That is the tribe of the Levites. They would be that. But for now, they are to sacrifice a lamb for that firstborn son. Moses is going to clarify a lot of this in verses 11 through 16 where he helps the Israelites to know what they are to do with God's command to consecrate all the firstborn. So jumping now to verse 11 and following, here we see Moses pointing Israel to the already done deal of their possession of the promised land. Look there in verse 11. He says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites. But not only does he say when, but he goes again and says, as he, God, swore. He made this promise. And I don't know about you, if you know this or not, but God keeps his promises. He is not a God who makes a promise and is like, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, it didn't work out. I'll, I'll, maybe next time. God keeps his promises. And so I think Moses is wanting them to, to really pick up on the fact that where they're going is a secured situation. It's theirs. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of what God has promised you, which is actually kind of ironic uh, because you, you think back when they actually have the opportunity to enter the land for the first time, they get scared. Oh, the people are giants. We're like grasshoppers. Then they run away. They forgot that God's already promised it. He's done it. But Israel is, he's reminding the Israel of the reality of what God has promised to them. And in verse 12, we see a restating of the command God gave in verse 1. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Ah, did you catch the difference though? Did you catch the difference between verse 12 and verse 1? There's one word. Well, yeah, one word. And it is, he said, all the firstborn of your animals that are males. This is the, they shall be the Lord. So if their sheep gives birth to a male sheep, male lamb, for the first time, that sheep belongs to the Lord, and they are to sacrifice that lamb to God. Another, and then he goes on in verse 13 to, to give more detail. So because Israel had animals that were for sacrificing and for food, but as you know the law, and you've read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there were animals that they had that were not for sacrificing and were not for eating, but were for work. And he says in verse 13 about the donkey. 
an example of an animal that was not for eating and it was not for sacrificing, but it was for labor. It was for working. And what were they to do for a donkey who was first to open the womb? And in verse 13, donkeys were to be redeemed with a lamb, a a non-firstborn lamb they were to be redeemed with. Most of Israel's animals, as I said, had a purpose. One, they were for sacrificing and eating. Or two, they were for work. And donkeys were that work. And they were not to be sacrificed to God or or eaten for food. The redemption of a lamb was needed. This idea of redeeming is something that God is trying to help his people to understand. He's trying to help them to understand what has happened. They themselves were redeemed from Egypt, and they had to do this with their animals. And the reality is, if someone got to think, you know what, I don't really want to redeem my donkey. I just like my donkey the way it is, and I don't want to sacrifice any more lambs. What were they supposed to do with that donkey? Kill it. Break its neck. It was serious. God was wanting obedience from his people. He was wanting them to be putting their faith in him and trusting him that he knew what was best and to follow him. And therefore, they were to redeem the donkey with a lamb. But not only a donkey, the peoples that they were going to go live in the, around were sacrificing children to their gods. But God does not ever ask Israel to sacrifice their children. But rather, God says, you are to redeem your sons, your firstborn males with a lamb. You are to redeem your son. And then in verse 14, the sac- this sacrifice, again, was like in verse 8, a teachable moment for parents. Again, we see this is why they were to sacrifice. They're pointing their, themselves and their children back to what God had done. The consecration of the firstborn was to point future generations to God's power over death and life. This time it wasn't looking at the feast, the meal they ate before they left, but it's looking to that last plague, the death of the firstborn. God's power was shown in Pharaoh and Egypt's homes when they refused to let Israel go. And the only way, the only way Israel and anyone else that wanted to could not have their firstborn killed was to put blood on the doorposts. And when God saw the blood, he would pass over. God's power was so much greater than Pharaoh, who thought he was a god, who was treated like a god. It was greater than the might of Egypt's army. And it was greater than life and death. And this sacrifice of the firstborn was a reminder to them of what God had done. And they were to sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but to redeem the firstborn sons of mankind. God's power over life and death was what was to be remembered. When that firstborn son learns about this and learns that a lamb died in his place, what, a, what an awesome way to point back to God's power that says God redeemed us by the blood of that lamb on the doorposts in Egypt. And God redeemed you by the blood of this lamb. 
God has a plan for what he gives to his people as tasks, as responsibilities to do. God had given them this sacrifice, and it was a pattern that they were to follow. It was a pattern they were to follow often. And it was a remembering through a sacrifice. As we've looked at Exodus chapter 13, these first 16 verses, we've seen that God wants us to remember his powerful rescue. Again, we aren't the ones who are in Egypt, who are in slavery, who were were burdened with this ridiculous labor that they had, and yet God has rescued us. Each of these events, the, the, the feast and the sacrifice, they point back to God's power, power over Pharaoh, power over Egypt, power over death, power over life. Israel needed this reminder. This event in their life was so significant, so impactful, that they needed to not move on from it. It was something that the rest of their, the rest of their nation's life was going to be impacted by. It's often referenced back to in all of Scripture, this powerful rescue. Israel needed this regular reminder. But we too need regular reminders of God's powerful rescue on our behalf. For those of us who responded to the gospel, the good news of Christ dying in sinner's place on the cross and rising again three days later is what we need a reminder of. God powerfully rescued you if you are a believer this morning, from sin's dominion, from sin's slavery through the death, burial, and resurrection of his, Jesus' death. He did this. God graciously gives us reminders. Did you know that we too have reminders? Not necessarily a feast and a sacrifice like Israel, but we have at least three reminders, regular reminders of God's powerful rescue for us. They are baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the weekly preaching of the Word of God. These are daily, or not daily, but these are reminders, regular reminders for us of what God has done for us. But more than that, we have the Word of God. We can sit down, or stand if you prefer, and read the Word of God. We can listen to the Word of God. We can have somebody else read us the Word of God. And to hear the powerful rescue of God on our behalf. I believe we are too comfortable and too familiar with the gospel. We're too familiar with what God did that it doesn't move us. It doesn't motivate us in the way that it ought to. God did something that was so incredible for Israel in Egypt. And God has done something that's so magnificent in our lives that when we hear the gospel, like, oh yeah, that's the gospel. That's pretty awesome. Nobody does that when they think about magnificent things that have happened in their lives, major life events. They want other people to know. They want to talk about it. They want to think about it. They want to tell other people about it. So, do you take time to remember? Do you take time to remember when we see a baptism? Do you take time to remember when we monthly observe the Lord's Supper? Do you take time to remember at least weekly when you gather to hear the word of God preached? I have just a few questions I want to leave you with as we think about this text. First, do you know the redemption, the rescue of God in Jesus? 
Have you responded to your personal rebellion and sins against your holy creator, God? Have you responded with repentance and faith in Jesus alone? You can't remember something you've never experienced. You can't remember in a way that glorifies God, that makes much of God if you've never known the gospel, if you've never known the powerful rescue of God on on your behalf through Jesus. We can only know that through repentance of our sins and faith alone in Jesus alone. So I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the gospel, the repentance of your sins and faith alone in Jesus alone, know that there is a powerful rescue that God has worked on your behalf and the offer of salvation is open to you today. Second, have you lost the significance and weight of your salvation? Do you, does hearing the gospel or hearing someone who was converted by the gospel move you to love God more? Just want you to just shout and praise God for who he is. I just want to encourage you, if you think that in any way you've lost that significance or the weight of the gospel, to take some time this afternoon, take some time away from whatever you have planned, and to spend some time in the Word. Read what God did for you in Jesus. And then third, who in your life needs to hear about God's powerful rescue? Who in your life needs to hear about God's powerful rescue. God has powerfully rescued you from your sins if you're a believer this morning. Who in your life? Is it a family member? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it someone that you know? Who is it? And the question I have is, will you, after you say who, is will you this week go to them and to tell them, about this powerful rescue that God has worked in your life and that they can know that powerful rescue themselves. We at Grace Baptist Church exist to make disciples. And making disciples happens in the home with parents looking at their children and saying, look at our God. But making disciples also happens by us going to those around us and saying, look at our God. Will you make disciples this week by speaking of God's powerful rescue to others? God wants you, God wants me to remember his powerful rescue. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it we can have eternal life. We may not be in a situation like like Israel was in Egypt, enslaved, in bondage, but each one of us are sinners. Each one of us has rebelled and gone our own way and said, we don't need you, God. And yet, in your perfect timing, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, not for his own sins, because he had none, but because of our own. And then he marvelously rose from the dead, conquering forever, forever, death, and sin, and hell. Father, I pray that you would help us to never, 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 never lose the weight and the significance of the gospel. Help us never to move on from it, thinking that there's more important things in life, there's more important things to be excited and passionate about. 
But Father God, help us to be excited and passionate about what you have done. You wanted Israel to not forget and help us not to forget your powerful rescue. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.